Well, good morning again, uh, and it is good morning. It is a tremendous privilege that I have been given to uh, open up the Word before you, and I pray to God that the grace be given to me to not speak out of my own heart or my own mind, according to my abilities, that I might speak to you uh, out of the the Spirit of Christ, so that the words that I speak today. Your, the spirit of Christ that lives within you, or the spirit of Christ that would speak to you this morning, you would recognize it, that it is God that is speaking to you. And that word that would come into your heart by the spirit of God to bring conviction, to bring understanding, that you would believe that word, that God gives you, not a man, that the word that is written uh, be made alive by his spirit, to such a degree that, that you believe, not me, but you believe God. And stand in that belief. And respond to what God himself is saying to you this morning. This is the mystery. And it is mysterious. This is the marvelous uh, breath of God that is so hard for us to really understand. I can't define it. I can't in any way... Uh, uh, explain it sufficiently to you. But I pray that the Spirit of God would speak to you, and you know that it's His voice that is speaking. And believing it, you would enter into that life and into that relationship with Jesus Christ, our only Savior and the only one worthy of all praise and honor and glory this day. Um, Much of what I'm going to say this morning will use a number of verses, a lot of verses, and honestly, I will, I will give the passage, but may not give sufficient time for everyone to find the passage, that I will try to speak the word correctly so that you might hear what the word of God is saying. So don't get confused, don't get frustrated if you cannot find, because um, I believe God would have something, does have something, I know he does, and I stand in that. And I have confidence in what God would do for each and every one of us this morning. Many times when a person comes to the, the question of our relationship with God and what God wants of me, or what his will is for me, we can ask ourselves, well, what is God's will for my life? What does he want from me? Maybe he wants me to be more faithful in my attendance of the services, or he wants me to read the Bible more, or pray more, or witness, or do this, or do that, or do the other. And many times in that, that uh, desire that we have to please God, because we know that's what we're supposed to do, and that question comes, well, what is God's will for me? What is his command? Well, the Bible says that in 1 John chapter 2, In verse 3, and we can turn it to it, it says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3, and many, many of the scriptures that we're going to see this morning are known by you. I know that you have read them a number of times. But it says this in 1 John chapter 2 and verses 3 through 6. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And the one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth 
is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought also himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. This is the way that we know that we, that we know him, that we have that conviction because we, we keep his commandments and we walk as he walked. And that's the evidence that we do know God. And so the question is asked, well, what are his commandments? What is he, his will for my life as it's been revealed in the scriptures? Well, this is what God has commanded. In John 13, verse 34 and 35, it says this, a new commandment I give you, Jesus announces to his disciples, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. It says in John 15, 12, this is my commandment. You love one another. Just as I have loved you. What does it say in 1 John? This is the way you know that you know God. How? By keeping his commandments. And what is his command? This is my command, that you love each other. As I have loved you. By keeping that commandment, by following in in that uh, will, we know that we are children of God. Love is the first and great commandment. When a teacher of the law came to Jesus and asked him, well, what's the greatest commandment of them all? Jesus said this. He said to him, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Imagine he took the entire Old Testament. Jesus took the entire Old Testament. Jesus, the living word, the son of God, took the entire Old Testament because we ask ourselves, God, what is your will? What do you want for me? What is that command that you have for me? He takes the entire Old Testament and he reduces it to this sentence. This is the greatest commandment. In this, you reduce, this is the entirety of the Old Testament. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is loving as God loves us. Now the Pharisees, in order to do the will of God, they had all sorts of laws and rules and regulations in order that uh, guarding these things and obeying these things, they somehow would please God. But I want to bring before you today, as good church people, as those who have come to say, we want to do the will of God. This is the will of God, that we love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our might, everything that was in us, being consumed by the love of God. And in that love, we are loving each other and loving the, well, and this is the the next point. Because the love of which he is asking of goes far beyond 
the love that we are normally accustomed to. But the fulfilling of this, the love of God, the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, Paul said. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in this one command, to love another as you do yourself. This is the royal law that James speaks to us about in chapter 2 and verse 8 when he says, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, this law of love, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's guilty of all. This is the royal law. To love God, to love your neighbor as ourselves. But what is the problem that we have? Even as churchgoers, even as Bible believers, we do not love God as He loves us. We do not love our neighbor as we do ourselves. We do not walk as Jesus walked. We do not love like Jesus loves. And the person that said, well, no, but I'm, I, you know, I'm, okay. The one who says he's in his light is in light, John says, and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has entered into his heart and into his soul because of the, the despising of another, of the thinking of yourself above another, of the looking down on another person, of not willing to sacrifice yourself, your comfort, your convenience for the good of another, not thinking, not only what we do, but what we don't do. Not only what we do, but what we don't do. The love that is the command of God, this command... That one fulfilling knows that he knows God and walks as Jesus walks because he loves God with his whole heart, his whole soul, his whole mind, and loves his neighbor as himself. And then it gets worse. <laughs> because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. In order that you may be sons of our Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, on the Republicans, and on the Democrats. He causes the sun to rise. Yes, he does. And it rains on those harvest fields as well. It does. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those persecute For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? 
Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? If you greet your brothers only, and you read only the books written by the people you agree with, and you listen only to the radio programs of the people you agree with, if you only uh, pay attention to or are willing to give, etc., etc., it says, if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love your enemies. Who are your enemies? Your enemy is that person (laughs) that has despised you. That person that lies against you. That person that, that, that breaks your confidence and tells all manners of lies and rumors about you. He's that person that is not just neutral, but actually seeks to destroy you. You ever had an enemy? I mean, someone that has really done you wrong. Maybe, maybe it was, you know, and we don't think of this as far as enemies, but it could be a father that walked out on your family. It could be a, it could be a, a, a wife that, that went astray. It could be a son that, instead of being grateful, is accusing disrespectful. Love your enemy. You ever been sitting around the table at home and your own children are your enemies? To love them as Christ loved them? And I'm not talking about the love of man that looks to please everybody so they're fine with me, so I'm fine with me. So they treat me nice so I feel nice and so I do whatever I need to do to make them happy so I can be happy. I'm not talking about that kind of fleshly, self-serving love. I'm talking about loving others as God loves us. And that requires the grace of God operating in our life. All of these commandments cannot be done by us. In fact, we do not live this way. We don't live this way. We may not, we, we, we've got the Bibles memorized, but it's not flowing through us by the Spirit of God. We don't live this We are good to those who are good to us. We are with the people we feel comfortable with. We bless those that bless us. We curse those that curse us. And he says, this is how you will know that you are of God if you keep his commandments. What is his commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, and and might and love others the way I have loved you. And he did not deny his own son for sinners but gave him freely for us. He gave of himself. It was read, Philippians chapter 2, that though he was in the very form of God, the glory of God, the position of God, he did not count that to be worshipped as something to be retained and grabbed hold of. He poured it out. He became a servant. Not caring how people would respond or how they would say, he came to love them, though he was despised by them. Now some would try and justify themselves saying, well, we love our brothers, but nobody loves their enemy the way God loves us. Nobody. In our own abilities, in our own power, we cannot love the way God loves in this way, you might think, well, God's commands are unreasonable. They are, they're hard. As if we, by the commands of God, will please God. By obeying the commands of God, we have the hope 
of knowing the, the, the life of Jesus by, by just finding out what we need to do and doing it. As if Christianity can be defined by this process of saying, this is what you need to do, you're not doing it, so do it. And we, Christianity is defined like that. We come to the Bible to find out what we're not doing. Oh, yeah, I'm not doing that. I need to do that. Okay, I need to do, oh, I need to do that. I need to do that. You know what the word and the purpose of the commands are? You know what the purpose of the law is? The law is not to make us holy. It's to condemn our unholiness. When this scribe asked Jesus, well, what's the greatest law? What was his thinking? Tell me what I need to do, and I will do it. You know what Jesus says? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and then love your enemy as yourself. And he wanting to justify himself says, yeah, but who's my enemy? Or who's my neighbor? Remember that? Who's my neighbor? And we think that somehow, if we just know enough, if we just study enough, if we just attend enough, if we just do the things that we need to do, that somehow we will really understand what it means to be a Christian. Christianity is not a matter of finding out what I need to do. I'm not doing it, and do it. The purpose of the law is to say, this is what you need to do. You can't do it. God, give me, I pray, the Spirit of Christ. Wash me, cleanse me, fill me. Because this commandment is not being fulfilled in my life. I can't do it. I can't do it. But we think many times that the commandments of God are unreasonable and hard. Yet Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my load is light. But religion, religion demands that we do the things we need to do in order to be pleased before God and justified before God, and it puts a heavy burden on us. It becomes a religious obligation and the fruit of our own will and our own effort. And we have this religious mind that the answer to my problems is just to read a little bit more, pray a little bit more, and do a little bit more, and somehow that, that, that life of Christ will be manifested in my life by what I do. And it's not that way at all. It's not by self-effort. It's not by, by, by being able to, to work ourselves up. It, it has a form of godliness. It looks right. But it does not capture that craving, that longing, that need in the deepest part of our soul, that flesh that cries out for in hunger and thirst and desires to be satisfied. And all of our self-effort and all of our doing better and, and working hard and things will not calm that, that, that lust that we have, that hole in our heart, those desires. It doesn't heal us. It doesn't feel us. It doesn't fill us with wisdom and knowledge and power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't. Religion doesn't do it. Religious knowledge doesn't do it. If we live in the world of religious obligation and laws in order to please God and do His will, it will lead to despair, defeat, 
hypocrisy or rebellion. And the darkness of Satan will fill our heart. And with the Bible in in our hand, our heart is darkened. And with the Bible in our hand, our mind is, is clouded. And there is no humility. There is no brokenness. There is no acknowledging the the truth of the hunger and thirst and pain in our life that does not allow us to love freely with all of our heart, having died already in Christ to our reputation, to our own righteousness, and we go outside of of the wall and we, in Christ, accept and live as having died in Him. To be lived, to be raised together in Him. The religious yoke is hard, and it doesn't work. The yoke of Christ is light. It's different. I tell you, the doctrine of, you'd ask yourself, why are we not experiencing this love, this freedom, this fullness? The doctrine of false religion Man's work and the increase of wickedness, man's sin, separate us from the experience of God's love in our heart. We are trying harder and harder and harder. We think of ourselves as better and better and better. We have the idea that we just need to know a little more, do a little bit, try a little harder, and somehow we're going to be able to come to that moment of death and enter into the presence of God And Jesus came and into eternal life when Jesus said, I have come to give you life now and life abundant, eternal life is now. The Spirit's power and presence is now. That feeling that God would, would, would give to us is now. And religion will not bring that. It brings despair. It brings rebellion and, and hypocrisy into a person's life. It doesn't set us free. And we hide in darkness. We hide those things from the light of God. We convince ourselves that it's something I can handle, I can manage. It's something that, you know, I go and I'm fine, but I fall, and then I mean, we ignore the passage that says, the child of God does not practice sin. We, we, we somehow Say, yeah, but, I, you know, I've been justified, I've been redeemed, I've been, you know, washed, and I am saved. And yet, this is how you know that you are a child of God, that the child of God sins not. First John. The child of God cannot practice sin. The one who practices sin is not of God, he's of the devil. The one that walks in darkness walks according to the darkness of Satan, not according to the light of God. And so this idea of loving God with all our heart and all our soul and loving our neighbor as ourselves, as if it's something that, yeah, that's a nice idea. Yeah, that's what Jesus did. That's what, that is our salvation. That is our salvation. That is our inheritance. That is our reality. In Jesus Christ. That is what we are called to. That is what we've been saved in. That is that walk that we have in Christ. And yes, it's uncomfortable to, to come and say, this is the command of God. But not for the purpose for, 
I'm not saying this so you can say, all right, this is what I need to do. I'm not doing it. I'm going to do it. And so I'm raising my hand. I'm getting down on my knees. And I'm determined to before God. I'm going to do what you say to do, what I haven't been done, in order that I might be your child. That is religion. It is religion. It doesn't work. It doesn't set you free. It leads to despair. And it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, the life of Jesus Christ. I am talking about a heart relationship with the, by the Spirit of God, with Jesus Christ who loves, that we would love as he loves. And I ask yourself, why is this not a reality in our life? Why is it not a reality in our life? It says in Matthew 24:11, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, the love of many will grow cold. First, there'll be false prophets preaching a gospel of, of religion in order that we might be children of God. And the other thing that it says is the fact that there will be lawlessness, there will be, it will be increased, and because of the lawlessness, because of the sin that we suffer, the love of many will grow cold. The false prophets will speak of religious duties and the efforts of men to do the will of God. They lay heavy loads on the, on the shoulders of people, weighed down, and not with that lightness, that freshness, that, 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 that joy that comes from doing in the spirit and the power of Jesus, that which is pleasing in his sight, confessing continually before God our need of him, drinking from the fountain, cutting sin, cutting it off, confessing that we have been crucified with Christ, that we might live together. The righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And we cannot abide, folks, we just cannot abide this duality, this schizophrenic idea that I can in one moment be the child of God and in the next moment be a slave to sin. Jesus came to set us free from sin. And if sin enslaves us, and if we are inhabitants of darkness, and we're not able to love our neighbor and love our enemy, it is to call us to repentance, confession, and the seeking of the heart of God, that the salvation that we have is worked out in us, truly. It is God who works both to, to will and to do His pleasure as we are occupying ourselves in that, that salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. We live that salvation out. But there's something I'd like to speak to you, which is the main point. As I said in the Sunday school class, that's the introduction. But, uh, <laughs> Folks, I want to speak to you very from my own heart. And this passage here in Matthew 24, it says, Because lawlessness is increased, the love of many will grow cold. The lawlessness and the wickedness of which this passage speaks is the sins that we suffer in our society that produce wounds and offense in our heart. And our heart becomes full of wounds, offenses, resentments, distrust. 
The practice of sin becomes, as it were, it, it feeds that hunger, as it were, an addict with his drug. And pretty soon, though we are a Christian, and, and you know what, a, you talk to an addict, or you talk to a, most uh, alcoholics, and they will tell you, no, I've got a handle on it. I can control it. They're totally unaware of the power that alcohol or drugs has in their life, and they have to be many times confronted with the truth because they cannot see it. They're blind to it. They think they can live with it. They don't realize how much it affects their decisions and the way that they, they live. And I know it's hard for us to think of ourselves that way, as addicted to sin. Where sin controls us, not the Spirit of God. That the things that are done compulsively, we say to God, I'll never do it again, and we do it again, and I'll never do it again, and we do it again, and I'll never do it again, and we do it again, and we have no control. And it doesn't jive with the fact that we are children of a holy God who possess the Spirit of God living of us with all the promises and the, and the righteousness of Jesus Christ in it. And yet, I who say I am a child of God do not live in the righteousness and holiness of Christ. And we, but I received Christ when I was six years old with my Sunday school teacher. I was baptized. I know the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And you can say it. And if somebody wanted to ask you, how can I be saved? You said, this is the Romans road. And this is the, and you could give the salvation. And you have it in knowledge. And Paul said, I come before you not to, to share with you the wisdom of men, but to manifest before you the power of your God, that your faith would not rest on what men can say, but a vital, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where the Spirit of Jesus is manifested in you in righteousness and holiness and faith. What the law could not do because of the weakness of the flesh, God sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and in him condemned sin in the flesh in Christ. That we, in Christ, would fulfill the righteousness of the law, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For if anyone walks according to the flesh, he will die. But he, through the Spirit, crucifies the deeds of the flesh, he shall live. And we have been given the Spirit of Christ. But there are, there are elements, there are times... When that deep longing in our soul, those things that we want to hide, those things that we want to bury, those things we do not want to face, those practices, those offenses, the traumas, the things that have happened into our life, has not been treated by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have become, with the knowledge of Christ, yet addicts and dependent upon these things in order to fill us up, whether it's sex, whether it's money, whether it's position whether it's all of the things that we actually live for, and when those things are touched or disturbed by God's disciplined spirit in our life, there is a reaction, and there's not a brokenness, there's not a, a willingness to admit, to confess, to acknowledge the truth that we would be set free from these things that are operating freely with great power in our lives that we would be ashamed to, to sit and stand before the congregation and confess these things that are operating in our life. 
that are reality in our life, in the presence of God. And I say better to come and be set free to be saved in Christ and the power of Christ, confessing what is going on, admitting what is going on, standing before the law of God that does destroy, condemn, and, and incomodar, as they say, uh, however that is in English, uh, to make us uncomfortable that we might be set free. Guys, how can we hope to have a faith that doesn't work while we are alive and dying think that that faith that doesn't work will lead us into a life we've never experienced? How can we live in a religious life with a faith that doesn't work and believe that in the moment of death we enter into the presence of God to be received by him who we, in whom we never truly believed. Faith without works is dead. Faith without evidence is a mockery. It's a beguilement. It's a false hope. God has called us to righteousness, holiness, and mercy as it is received to those who humble themselves before God and live out the Spirit of God, the righteousness of Christ, in total dependence upon Him. Now you ask yourself, well, but why can't I, why can't I kick this? Why can't I be set free? Why am I gossip, constantly gossiping? Why am I constantly lying? Why am I constantly uh, involved in pornography? Why am I constantly... Uh, responding and reacting and why why do I, am I depressed when when my finances go south and why why cannot I be patient with a person that is that is why 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 am I a slave still what is that thing in my heart that darkness that has captured that 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 fortress that stronghold of Satan that is operating in my life still where does it come from where does the power come from from that realm of darkness that, 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 that turns me into a schizophrenic Christian that can speak the words but has no freedom and joy to honor Christ and to obey Him, to love Him and to love my neighbor, to love my enemy, to be set free. Where does it come from? When you are wounded by somebody... When you are disappointed by somebody, when you are abused by somebody, and that abuse, and that wound, and that offense is not treated by the blood of Jesus Christ, it becomes a stronghold of offense, a kingdom of, of darkness. It is untreated by the salvation and power of Jesus Christ. And when we are wounded, whether a father that walked out on us, an uncle that abused us, disappointed by somebody that, uh, where we have suffered loss, uh, being moved around from place to place to place and never having a, a place to call home, never having a friend maybe, all the disappointments in life, they create that hunger that is never satisfied, looking for someone or something somehow to, to fill that hole up, that, that, 
that yearning, that darkness in our life, even though we go to church and all those things, but still there's that, 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 that thing that, that we, we think about as we go to bed at night and, and somehow try to come to peace so we can fall asleep. That thing that in the morning we wake up to and the, and the, and the thoughts and the ideas are there and we fight them all day long. That stuff we don't even understand why we're so sensitive about this or that or the other. Why we cannot forgive. Why we cannot trust. Why, why, why we cannot think about. We try to live with our offenses. We bury them deep hoping they won't come up. We want to love and know the love of God, but we can't. We look for solutions in psychology and and manipulation, and aggression, and depression, and diversion, and gratification of the flesh, somehow to drown out the pain of our soul. Things we, don't, we are afraid to deal with. We don't want anybody to talk about it. We've never talked about it, and we don't want to talk about it, and yet it won't go away. And in those quiet moments of the night, when our thoughts somehow, are, are the, the walls are down, and somehow it comes up again into our face, those things that have been done to us. And the things that we do. And I come before you to say there is an answer in Jesus Christ that expresses the love of God for you that go beyond anything you can imagine or think that makes alive a relationship with our Savior. Does God have the answer? Yes, because the blood of Jesus Christ was shed not only to forgive what you have done, but to heal what was done to you. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed not only to forgive you for what you have done. The blood of Christ was shed to heal what was done to you. Salvation has more to do than just giving you a free ticket to heaven when you die. Salvation means salvation. It means the chains are broke free. That we live now by the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, who we have taken on as our name, as our Savior and our Lord, here on earth. And we walk in this abundant life. We walk in the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. We pursue God. We wrestle with God. We believe God. We open our heart to the Scriptures and to the Spirit of God. And we are not afraid to bring into the presence of God everything that we are, have done, and has been done to us, and we receive by the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that He did on the cross. We, in Him, with Him, dying and raising to new life in Jesus Christ, we deal with these things. Things that maybe we don't even understand, but the Holy Spirit of God would reveal to us and put before us, taking out of darkness and bringing it into the light. Why do you do what you do? Why are you not able to break with those practices in your life of which you are ashamed? Why are you not able to forgive? Why are you not able to love? Why are you not able to trust? Why are you not able to love those that do evil to you? Why cannot you rejoice when your health goes south and, and when your finances do not... Why are you so afraid? God would deal with these things. What is the divine... Listen to what it says, Isaiah says, about what Jesus does for us. Surely our griefs, he himself bore your grief, the loss of a child, the loss of a father when you were 14, being raped or abused by some relative when you were 7 or 8, 
These things have happened. Have you experienced the healing? That longing to be loved unconditionally by somebody and you've gone from guy to guy to guy to try to find out where is that source of life that would feel that longing in your life. You got married thinking that you found it and then 10 years down the road you realize it was a lie. Is it possible? His griefs, he himself bore our sorrows he carried Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastising of, for our well-being, our salvation, fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. And my purpose this morning is to present before you that I believe many have known what it means to be forgiven by their, for their sins, by what they have done by the blood of Jesus Christ, but have never allowed and never understood that the blood of Jesus was, was shed not only for what I have done, but what has been done to me. And salvation has to do with the sin I have done, and it has to do with the sin that was done to me. And unless that is healed, and unless that is dealt with, that flow of the Spirit, that confidence, that, that, that breaking, that recognition, that my responses to, my, to that, the things that have happened to me, my fears, my traumas, that response that I have to be able to love as Jesus loved, I can't because I haven't been healed by His love and His power and the authority of His blood. I want to affirm before you today that Jesus Christ was present in every wound that we suffered. He received it upon his own body and his heart. He suffered with us and he suffered for us and he understands our pain. And he invites you and he invites me to come into his presence and by the Spirit of God ask him to reveal to us by his Spirit that which is in our heart that we do not many times want to even talk about and ask him to reveal it by the Spirit. And he will reveal it to you. He will reveal it to you. You know, what we do many times uh, when we have a wound, what would you think of the doctor that did what he did to us and to our family when we had a car accident in Mexico? And my little girl had, was ripped up her arms and everything by, by, the, the, by the, the metal of the car, torn apart. Get to the hospital. My wife says, hey, how about that? And so the doctor goes, oh, okay, takes a clean thing and puts it right on there, puts it, tapes it up and things like that. And a couple days later, when we finally get to uh, uh, in Texas at a hospital, and the doctor takes off that bandage, it looked nice and clean and everything's all fine. He opens it up and there's a stench that comes out and he says, it's practically gangrene. The answer to all that is in your heart Ask yourself, why do I do what I do? Why am I not set free? Why am I drawn to this compulsive behavior and this addiction? Why am I fearful? Why is this thing going on? Take off the bandage by the Spirit. See what needs to be brought out into the light. 
Ask yourself, has that been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Not just what you've done, what's been done to you. Are you fearful of, of, of ending up on the street? How do you respond when people uh, you know, look at you, etc.? Just open it up. Clean it out. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed, not only for what you've done, but what has been done to you. Open it up before the Lord. Ask Him to reveal it to you. And when He begins to reveal it, look at it. It's hurtful. It's painful. It's difficult. It may take time. It will take time. It will take weeks. It will take months. I remember when I asked God to do this, as it was revealed to my wife, and then shared with your servant. And I came before God saying, oh, you know, I didn't even understand all God revealed to me. I, I, I'm a good boy. I do what's right. I've always been compliant. I've been a religious. I've been a little kid saved since I was six. I knew the books of the Bible when I was six in kindergarten. I did, da, 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 I went to all, etc. God revealed. For three days, nonstop, the Spirit of God began to bring out into my consciousness because I was a slave of sin. And I'll say it to you. I was a slave of sin. And until this was brought out, and then God began to say, this is what is in your heart. This is what happened with your dad and mom. This is where all what you feel about this and that. This is that, that inferior, and, that, and event after event after event after event after event was brought out into my consciousness by the Spirit of God. And each event, I was able to say, Jesus, you understood, you suffered, you died for this. I, by the name of Jesus Christ, put under the blood of Christ what was done. I give you my pain. I receive your love. I give you the agony. You understand it. I receive your consolation. Jesus, I put under, I break with this. This is under your, what you have done definitively on the cross. And event by event, event by event, three days solid. And that wasn't the end of it. It's the Spirit of God would bring it up. And the first time to be set free from an addictive behavior that is not cured by theology, that is not cured by ministry, that is not cured by being in the pulpit, guys. It's only cured by the power and the authority of the, of the name of Jesus Christ as we confess to Christ what we hide in darkness. And he breaks it and he, we are set free. And we lose our reputation. We lose what... what ever sense that of my ability can do. And we begin to drink from the fountain that comes from the very heart of God. And we begin to live in what He is and set free from the darkness that is on our heart. I invite you to look truthfully about what is going on in our life and our heart. Not with the idea that this is what you should be doing, you're not doing, okay, now do it. I say, this is what the scripture says is the righteousness of the law that cannot be fulfilled in our lives because of the weakness of our flesh, but that Christ came and died on the cross and lives today that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not by the flesh or the religion, but by the Spirit of Christ in love and loved by and set free from everything else not worrying about what people think about you. Not worrying and saying it's almost 11, you know, 12, 15. I want to communicate to you what the Spirit of God has said for me to say to you. And I do it with all confidence and all boldness. And I say, guys, 
We must deal with this. And God would deal with this in our lives, that we would be set free. Jesus heals by his blood the wounded heart, the heart offended by the sin of another, filled with rage and resentment. He is the answer to our distrustfulness and fear. He can console and transform the heart, and your heart can be flooded by the love of Christ and those chains broken by the power and the authority of his name. When Jesus began his, if you think that I'm just, you know, where did you get this stuff? Okay, Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is about to begin his ministry, he stands in his home synagogue, and he says, this is the reason, with this I'm done, okay, I'm done. De verdad, okay, truly. He stands in his home synagogue, and he says this, to all the people that he's known, in his home synagogue, he stands up and says, this is the reason... I'm, this is his first message. And he quotes Isaiah 61, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. And notice, this is what he has come to do in us and for us. I brought good news to the afflicted. He sent me, are you afflicted? Are you afflicted by, by sin? Are you afflicted by, uh, by fears? By anger? Are you set free? I have come, he says, to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Has your heart broken? Been broken by someone else? Are you saying, oh, it's, it's okay, you know, um, my leg is broken, I pulled a muscle, but, you know, I can, I'm going to run the race, and, and look, I, 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 I can move pretty well, I can get there. Is that the abundant life that Jesus called us to? To limp along? Did not he come in power and authority to give strength to the lame? And tell the man that was down on the pallet, get up, walk, carry your bed, and go running, jumping, rejoicing? He came to heal that. That abuse. That parent that was irresponsible. That poverty that you suffered. That feeling of, of unloving and unlovable and broken and garbage. I feel like garbage. There's no dignity. There's no honor in my life. Have you tasted the honor, the dignity and love of Christ? Have you healed that? that brought such shame to you. And I'm not talking about what you have done only. I'm talking about what was done to you. Have you dealt with that by the blood of Jesus? Bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to captives. Are you captive by sin? Are you powerless to break with what you are ashamed of? I came to give liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners, proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Grant those who mourn in Zion, give them garlands instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. 
that they will be oaks of righteousness. This is my invitation to you. He loves you. And he understands what you have suffered. He knows that your needs will never be filled up by wishing that you had different parents, a different spouse, a different job, a different character, more knowledge. He loves you. And all that ever happened to you, that Satan takes advantage to bind you, that somehow that, that compulsive behavior to somehow reaffirm that value, whatever it is, will be satisfied in Jesus Christ through repentance and healing of that hurt by the blood of Jesus Christ. He wants to fill your heart with love. In order to do this, he wants to heal the heart of all the hurt it carries. And only the Holy Spirit will bring that to your remembrance. I cannot tell you what that is. It's what you go to bed at night trying to somehow calm so you can go to sleep. It's that, cause, it's that thing that causes you to do the things that you are ashamed about and do in darkness. It's that inability to love somebody when, when they have done you wrong. God will heal. And it's a spiritual healing. It's something I can't explain. And I'll say this. Can you understand how it is that a drunk comes down? You've probably seen it. Drunk comes down. And uh, he, he confesses Christ as his personal savior. He pours out all of his sin and somehow he gets up from there and he doesn't drink anymore. Because at a certain level in his life, the, the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to all that, that bore him down. And his life is transformed. It's something that the Holy Spirit of God does in a person's life that needs to be done in many who, who name the name of Christ. And if you would ask the Holy Spirit of God to reveal to you what is in your heart that becomes, it, it, it vitalizes, it, it energizes, it sets free, it takes that, 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 that downcast heart and lifts it up, it, it, take, it sets free the captive, it is Jesus. And your life with Jesus becomes a continual experience of freedom and joy and righteousness and holiness. Not because you're trying harder. You know who you are. You confess daily who you are. It's a continual day of, of repentance, but you say, God, live that, that life through me. Allow the Spirit to speak to you. Whenever he brings it to your mind, put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. Use, use the words that he puts within you, but say, God, this is what my father did. This is what my uncle did. This is how I was made to feel. This is what happened, this. And here, I put it under the blood. You understand you were present. I put it under, I, in the name of Jesus, I believe I receive your love. I take, here's my, here's my pain. I receive your love. I live in you, Father. And something happens that I can't explain. Something happens that comes to the Spirit of God. And you lose your reputation, but you gain eternal life. <laughs> you lose your religion, and, and suddenly you gain a spiritual freedom for his glory and his honor. And it is worth it. I'm sorry, I spoke a little bit past the time, just a little bit, a lot. But let's pray, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are the one that is our Savior and our Redeemer. And I pray, Father, that 
for those of us who, oh Father, I don't know what to pray except to ask that your Holy Spirit accomplish that work that you would do in the heart of everyone that may have, have heard by your Spirit your, your call, your love, your instruction, your correction, your discipline, whatever, Father, but I pray that those who are bound would be set free. I pray those that are live in, in darkness would come into the light. I pray those that would, that would look honestly about their life and allow your spirit to set us free. I pray, Lord, that, that you would be glorified, not to give the glory to a preacher, not to give the glory to a spouse, not to give the glory to any denomination or, or anything but you. You are the one that died on the cross that we be set free. It's by your power and your authority that we break with the, the bonds of, of sin. And you are the one that fills us, like you said, gives us a fountain of living water that we enter into and rejoice in and drink from, having confessed our sins and acknowledging before you that you are the healer of our heart. That you take our sins as far as from the, as from the east as from the west. And you set us free. Thank you, Father. May this truth be experienced in our life as your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.